Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. This occurred when I was in third grade. My family, which consists of me, my mother, my older brother, and my younger sister, all lived in a small house in rural Iowa. We were in the process of moving to the largest city in the area. My mother was working in Omaha and house hunting during the day so that she could be closer than an hour from her job. A move was imminent, and the only obstacle was finding the right home in our price range. It was also very important that it was near a good school. Our country home was a modified trailer where all the bedrooms emptied out into a shared hallway. My brother and I shared a room which was catty corner from my mother's. One night, I had an extremely vivid dream of a blue house with white trim surrounded by a waist-high white fence. It was definitely not the country, but rather an urban atmosphere with a large school across the street. In my dream, I was playing in the house's entryway as I watched my sister exit the front door, go down the steps, and through the gate. She seemingly was without aim and wandered into the street where she was immediately struck by a car. I knew that she had died. I don't recall anyone telling me that she was dead or seeing anything that would indicate that she was dead, but I just knew it. I woke up, shaken, panicked, and crying. I did as any 10-year-old would do and made a beeline for my mother's room. But as I exited my room, I almost collided with my mother who was leaving her room and was visibly distraught as well. She asked, what's wrong? I said through tears that I had a dream where Kate died. She got hit by a car. My mom stood there and asked what had happened. I explained what I had dreamt, and after, she stood there quietly until she sheepishly said, I had that same dream. She then went on to describe the house with its blue color and white trim and how my sister had escaped through the open gate. The commotion had woken up my brother, and he asked what was going on. We told him about our dream, and he was very unimpressed and just asked us to keep it down. We were both a bit confused and had a hard time shaking the coincidence, but gradually made our way back to bed. We found out in the morning that my sister had the same dream with that same house, the same fence, and the same large school across the street with the same outcome. As wild as it was, without any more information, it was easily dismissed as just a strange coincidence and a good story, but as an adult, 
I learned that there was a real blue house with white trim and a fence across the street from one of the best schools in the city, a house that we were at some point very close to buying. In fact, it became a source of contention between my mother and grandfather, who was helping with the house hunt, because he didn't understand why my mom wouldn't want to live in a house that was seemingly everything that she ever wanted in a home. I don't know if she ever told him. It's 2008, and I'm in the fourth grade. My parents had been on and off my whole life. They had married and filed for divorce previously, and in another attempt to rebuild their life together, they decided to remarry and move. This put us in a house in a small town near where my father had grown up. The house was marked well below the area's market price, as it had been empty for several years. It wasn't anything fancy. It definitely needed some work, as it was old and in need of repairs and updates, but the place was huge. As a kid, I was in awe seeing it for the first time. I had never imagined having a yard that big to play in, or even having my own room. I got to share this experience with my older sister and younger brother. We are all three years apart and have a close relationship. This came in handy when we moved because my parents worked a lot and were hardly ever home. This was our third time switching schools in less than two years, so friends weren't really a thing. As kids, you don't know any better. You tend to experience life in its true raw form without all the mental static clouding your judgment. So for eight-year-old me, everything seemed normal and life started revolving around that house. I think we all knew the house had its own presence, and we all became quite fixated. Even though there wasn't a tight space within that house, every room felt full. There were parts of the house where I felt the need to walk by quickly, so as to not disturb the peace. I kept to myself a lot and typically stayed up in my bedroom, My sister's room was right next door to mine, and it always felt heavy in there. The darkness seeping from within the walls of that house stuck to her like glue. She spoke of a man in the closet, a tall shadow figure that visited her frequently. I would also hear voices coming from her room that can only be described as inhuman. I never dared sleeping with my door open, and my lights would stay on throughout the night, because I was terrified that whatever sat in the dark would come into my room at night. My parents seemed oblivious, yet I could tell the house was sticking to them too. When you grow up in a household with two dysfunctional parents and a house full of spirits, it becomes a breeding ground for darkness. The longer we lived there, the heavier the walls felt around me. Even in the daylight, the house looked dark. 
My father worked night shift at a factory, and sometimes I'd still be up in my room, doing homework or reading when he'd come home. He would always be livid to see me still up. It got so bad, whenever I would hear his truck pull up, I'd turn everything off and pretend to be sleeping. I'd hear him shuffle around the house, almost waiting for something to happen. He'd sit at the bottom of the staircase, listening for any signs of movement. I didn't dare. One night, I was so consumed by my schoolwork I didn't hear him come home. The light to the hallway was on, so I could see out of my bedroom and the railing to the staircase. Thump, thump, thump. I looked up and my father was standing midway up the staircase, so his face was the only thing showing through the railings, and he just stared at me with a look of absolute rage for what seemed like hours. He never said anything. I remember trying to speak to him without any luck. I just got up, closed my door, and pretended to go to bed. I couldn't sleep at all that night. Spooky things became normal. Hearing voices, seeing figures, the immense darkness hovering over everything. There was this one occasion where my family and I were getting ready to go out and take professional family pictures. I had my little brother standing in front of the mirror that was hanging on one of the bedroom doors. I was standing behind him doing a final hair check before we departed. We both looked up into that mirror, and terror set onto our faces. I wasn't the only one seeing it. There was an old man, leering right behind us, looking at us menacingly. We both took off down the stairs, crying. My mother told me to stop trying to scare my brother, and said I was just making things up. I mean, we both saw it. Why would my brain do something like that? There was one other instance where my sister and I had gotten home from school, and my mom and dad were still at work, so we had the house to ourselves for a few hours. After hanging out upstairs for a while, we decided to find something to eat. When we got downstairs, we had to walk by the living room to get to the kitchen. We both froze at the exact same time. I glanced towards my sister. She had a look of horror on her face, and the dread set in when we both realized that we were seeing the same thing. I couldn't run. Hell, I couldn't move at all, or make a sound. I was so scared. Standing there in the living room was this massive creature who stood too tall to fit and had to hunch over. This thing had a human-like torso, legs, and arms. But its face, its head, it reminded me of a wolf, and it had these red eyes that I will never forget. I still can't really explain exactly what we saw that night. It wasn't human, and it definitely wasn't happy. My mom came home shortly after this and had to endure our cries. She eventually called our priest, and he and another woman came to our home. They said prayers and cleansed the home. They even gave us rags with holy oil to place under our beds. After that day, I noticed the sun shined into our home more, 
and the walls seemed to stand up just a little taller. The damage that house caused on our psyche was permanent, though. I'd like to share this experience with others because it's been a beautiful and perplexing thing for us. This is the kind of story I had previously heard about, but when it happens to you, it really is quite amazing. In April of 2020, at 17 weeks gestation, I had an infection in my uterus which was undetected, and after several days in the hospital with some worrying symptoms, I went into premature labor. I was also septic, so after delivering our boy, I was very unwell. To say that it was tragic and traumatic would be an understatement. We did name him, and for the purpose of this story, we'll just call him Henry. At the time, my older son Austin was two and a half years old, too young to really understand anything except that mommy was sick in the hospital. We will tell him about Henry within time, but there was no reason to confuse him at such a young age. We don't talk a lot about Henry at home, so Henry is not a name that is familiar with our older son for any reason. Around July this year, I was driving Austin to a Saturday morning activity when he said, Mommy, you should meet my friend Henry. He's here in the car with us. He pointed to the ceiling of the car. I didn't want to overreact or ask too much in case he felt the need to make things up, so I simply said, that's good, Austin. Is he a nice friend? And he said yes. I told my partner, and we both had the same reaction. Weird coincidence, but also kids have imaginary friends pretty often, so not a huge deal. The next day, Austin told my partner that Henry is here. He was playing in our lounge room. My partner asked, Oh, okay, well where is he now? Austin pointed up in the air, towards the corner of the room, above where we keep Henry's ashes, on top of our bookshelf. Austin then said, He's like an astronaut. He can float, like in space. A few days later, when my partner took Austin off to childcare, I gave Austin a kiss and a hug, as I always do at the front door. Austin then turned to his left and enthusiastically said, Bye, Henry. I'm off to school. He then ran out the door. By now, my partner and I are just looking at each other in amazement. Over the next few weeks, this happens several more times. Sometimes Austin told us that Henry is asleep, so he would stay in the car if we arrived at our destination. Austin also told me that Henry was in the hospital not an astronaut anymore. This freaked me out as, of course, the only time we could hold Henry was in the hospital. Our only memories of him physically were in that setting, but mostly the visitations did feel special and a bit magical. The final time Henry visited that I know of occurred in the car again, and it was just me and Austin. He told me, Henry is here with us, Mommy. And curiosity got the better of me. I asked Austin, Is Henry a man or a little boy like you? 
and he said to me, with a tone like I really should know this already, No, Mommy. Henry's just a little baby. Sometimes I can hold him. Then he cradled his arms like he was holding a small baby. That was the absolute oh shit moment, but also the wow moment. Now, I was raised agnostic atheist, so it's all a bit overwhelming to ponder on it too much, but we have decided that it was Henry just letting us know that he was okay and he was still with us somehow. A few weeks later, I found out that I was pregnant again. I like to think that Henry was here with us through those early weeks and is still with us, always a special part of our family. I do believe young children can see things that we can't. I'm so glad that Austin had this chance, though he most likely won't remember it. Thanks for listening. Ever since I was little, I have dreamt lucidly. In fact, I cannot remember when it first began because it was that long ago. My mother taught me how to lucid dream in the same way that parents teach their children normal, everyday tasks. It was so normal in my life that I actually was unaware that not everyone experienced it until I was in high school. While at lunch with my friends, the conversation turned to dreams. When I explained mine, none of my friends believed me. I actually did not yet know the term lucid dreaming. It was at that moment I realized I could do something different than most people. And in some ways, it was like a gift. As time went on and I grew older, I continued to lucid dream. There are dreams when one can just control themselves, the environment, or both. And as Andrew mentioned in a previous episode, there is also the wake-induced lucid dream. For me, the wake-induced lucid dreams work more like astral projection. In my early 20s, I was a nanny whose clock-in time was at 3 a.m. This was the perfect time for me to practice wake-induced lucid dreaming also known as wild. I would lie on the couch in the downstairs living room. The transition into this state felt like heavy waves going through my body. I would feel super heavy, and then, all of a sudden, so light, that I felt like I could float away. I would walk around in what I believed was my astral body. I would go outside and walk around the neighborhood. One of the reasons I believe this was real is because any animal I passed turned and noticed me, whereas I seemed invisible to any other person. Every day, I would practice this technique, and things got weird. I have experienced sleep paralysis, and this incident is not that. A voice started to appear during these times. It was calling my name. It started out faint, and then it grew louder. It was coming from the corner of the ceiling, and although I could see nothing, I felt the presence of an entity, an entity that was not friendly. 
as the calling grew louder, my astral body began being pulled to the corner of the ceiling. I woke up having a seizure. I took this first event as a fluke and experienced two more seizures the following two times. I astral projected. I talked with doctors who had no idea what caused this to happen, and the only thing they suggested to me was to go on medication. I decided to stop practicing the wild technique to avoid this, but I wasn't going to stop lucid dreaming, and I am not sure that I am even capable of stopping that. Shortly after this occurred, I was riding in the car with my brother near Cape Perpetua. It was dark, mountainous, and altogether the perfect atmosphere to have a creepy conversation. We started talking about hallucinogenic mushrooms. I told my brother about how many of my experiences with dreaming seem similar to drug-induced visions. He told me it sounded like I was having an experience with peyote rather than mushrooms. Then he told me about dream emissaries from what is called the realm of inorganic beings. We can reach out to this realm while lucid dreaming. Dream emissaries exist in our regular dreams as well, but unless we are lucid, they simply walk past us. The true emissaries are helpful guides, but there are other entities in that plane of existence that are not. Many entities in this realm are lonely, and they want to grab energy from living humans. These things can be spirits from once living creatures, or simply orbs of consciousness, and some believe other dreamers' consciousness appears here in a similar form. If you are lucid dreaming and you seek an emissary, there almost undoubtedly will be a false guide there to try and trick you. A too eager nature is one warning sign. The true emissary guide will take you through various steps and ask you for your consent along the way. I have made it very far in this journey, but ultimately I backed out. I was afraid of being tricked by a false guide and my brother was continually warning me and telling me how dangerous things could become. I am imagining right now that many of you are thinking that I have gone off the deep end, and I don't blame you. My brother recommended a book to me called The Art of Dreaming by Carlos Castaneda. When I read it, I was shocked at the level of affirmation I was given. The book validated my experiences, and it explained the dream emissaries and outlined the path they can take people on. The only difference between the book and my experience is that I was reaching this realm through lucid dreaming, which is absolutely possible for anyone who can lucid dream. But the people in the book were using peyote to jump a bunch of steps and go straight there. Please understand that I am in no way promoting the use of hallucinogens. If you want to visit the realm of inorganic beings, sharpen your skills at lucid dreaming, and also read the book I suggested, so you can safely navigate around the false guides. I believe there is so much more to reality than we currently understand. 
we live in a universe beyond human imagination. The simple fact that we exist at all is crazier than anything I have just shared with you. This is one of my first memories untouched by infantile amnesia and my first paranormal encounter, which did not cease when I immigrated, but I'll save those for another time. I was born in the Philippines and grew up on the same property as my mother's side of the family. We lived in a separate building near the main house facing the back of the estate, surrounded by lots of trees. In its prime, that backyard was full of lush greenery. We had a literal jungle behind the house. During our more summery seasons, trees bearing coconuts, bananas, mangoes, and other fruit bloomed. And every year during those months off of school, all my cousins were dropped off at the main house. Picture eight kids, ranging from three to fifteen years old, reunited and climbing barefoot up the trees. My cousin April and I were the youngest at three years old. We were the babies of the group and were often left out of our cousin's shenanigans. Apparently, we cried too loud whenever we got a little roughed up, and they didn't want to be blamed for it. Stands to reason that April and I became best friends and ended up doing everything together. My parents were the cool aunt and uncle, and the cousins always wanted to be around them. So instead of staying in the main house, my cousins dragged their mattress across the estate and slept on the floor in our room. So there we were, trying to squeeze everyone into one bedroom, with three single mattresses on the floor, like Tetris. I slept on the bed with my parents, as it was, in fact, my house. Now, it was like every other sweltering night. April and I spent the day trailing our cousins and begging them to include us in their games to no avail. But by nightfall, we wound up sleeping in the same puzzle formation. When I was roused by whispering, I opened my eyes to place the voice. In the frame of my bedroom door was a tiny figure standing with their back to me. It was about my height with a short bob haircut and an overall dress. It was April. Now, this was not out of the ordinary because... She was afraid of the dark, and she would sometimes wake me up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I would stand guard in front of the door while she did her thing and then escort her back to bed. Thinking that this was one of those times, I slid off the mattress and groggily tiptoed around my other sleeping cousins toward her. As I got closer, she led me out of the bedroom and motioned to the left. I was confused, since the last time I checked the bathroom was to the right, Turning left would take us toward the kitchen and the door to the backyard. Unsure why she wanted to go there, but thinking maybe she wanted to play outside, I reminded her that the bathroom was the other way. I don't know the time exactly, but it was late, and we were definitely not allowed to go outside by ourselves when it was dark. Besides, the back door was locked and neither of us were tall enough to maneuver the lock. April didn't reply and still had her back to me, which I started to think was rather strange. 
It was pitch black. My eyes were still adjusting to being awake. There was minimal light pollution back then, to the extent that hopping on our roof at night gave us a clear view of all of the stars. I reached for her arm, but she ran off before I could. Following the pitter-patter of bare feet on the cement floor all the way to the kitchen, I saw that the back door was an open tunnel. She stood on the other side with her palm facing up and to me as if she were inviting me to dance. Only then did I realize that this was not April. This childlike being who still took her image, remained a shadow despite the glow of the moonlight. I don't know how to describe it any other way than it looked like a kid had dipped themselves in black paint which dried perfectly to their skin, like a morph suit. They smiled with their glowing ruby eyes and coaxed me forward. Let's play, they said, in the same voice that woke me up. It was not one I recognized and I began shaking my head no, but I found myself frozen in place. Come, they demanded, and I swear the wind picked up, swished behind me to form an invisible lasso around my back, and it pulled me in. I was being brought to this thing against my volition. Panic set in, and all I could do was scream, no, as loud as I could. Apparently that was enough to freak it out, because it swirled around on its tiptoes, and it ran away with the wind. My voice was enough to wake my parents and a few cousins. They walked in on me, paralyzed. They shut the door and asked what I was doing. I told them. They carried me back to my room, where I saw April fast asleep on the mattress closest to my bed. She was the first person I had to walk past to get to the door, and I didn't even notice. After I calmed down enough, they assured me that I was probably just sleepwalking, even though I had no history of that, and I eventually fell asleep. Fast forward years later, when I chalked it up to a nightmare, I overheard my mom telling my family how I was nearly abducted by a malevolent goblin thing us Filipinos call Duende. Filipino folklore has it that Duende lure children to their hill in the forest or a mini jungle where they eat their innards. It has never been documented how they convince children to go up with them because every child who does disappears forever. Whenever children go missing into the woods, these creatures are often the first to blame. All I know is that I was lucky I had such a loud cry. Hi guys, I've been listening to your podcast over the last year and have debated writing in, so here it goes. There are a couple of stories my family has experienced since my dad passed away. He was 39 years old when he passed and took his life in my childhood home basement. My three siblings and I found him, cue horrible trauma at 8 years old. 
We moved out a month after the incident and haven't been back. It's been over 12 years since he passed. The first experience we had was around three to four years after he passed, obviously in a different home. My oldest sister, who we will call Mel, was showering in the upstairs bathroom that was beside my other sister's bedroom. We will call my other sister Judy. Anyways, Mel had heard a male's voice calling her name through the window. The voice sounded familiar, but she couldn't quite place who it was. Mel paid no mind to it and finished her shower before going into Judy's bedroom. Mel had already moved out at this point, so in order to change and get clothes, she just used Judy's room. When she entered, Judy was bawling on the bed, saying how she saw my dad's face through the bathroom window around the time Mel heard the voice calling her name. She asked Judy if she was positive that she saw our dad. Judy started crying harder and swore it was him. Mel was shocked and realized the voice sounded so familiar because it was my dad's voice. She believed Judy right away after realizing and also knew there was no way anyone could have been in Judy's window. It was on the second story of our townhouse facing the driveway, which was the only way into our parking lot and the houses in the middle of the day. So Mel comforted Judy the best she could, but never told her or anyone else about it until years later, because she didn't want to upset Judy more or upset anyone else with the story. I learned this story after asking Mel about any ghost stories she had. This happens to be the only one. Fast forward a year or two, and I had met a girl whose family had moved from five hours away and knew nothing about my family. Long story short, her mom was a medium and begged me to bring my mom to talk with her. Apparently, my dad wouldn't leave my friend's mom alone, bugging her all hours, begging to be able to talk to my mom. You see, he had written a suicide note that I was unaware of. In the note, he had blamed my mom. When we got there, my friend's mom was having trouble breathing, having my dad near due to the way he passed, and told my mom that my dad needed her to know that it wasn't her fault and that she did everything she could. He loved her more than words could describe, and he was so sorry for being so selfish and hurtful. He begged her to forgive him and to stop blaming herself. It was so emotional, and my heart breaks for my mom every time I think of it, but it gave my mom closure. I didn't doubt he was there, talking through my friend's mom for a second. She couldn't have known the things that she did, having never met my mom. I'm glad I was able to help my parents and to give them some closure. My next story comes from last year, actually. I was 20, and my boyfriend and I live an hour away from where I grew up. One day, on our way home, late at night, we were passing the cemetery that my dad is in. Something told me to go in and visit him, so I asked my boyfriend to pull in, and he did. 
after just a minute of driving into the cemetery, a bright light starts flashing in the car. I looked around and saw the light I keep on my keychain flashing. It's a little person that, if you press the head, it'll light up. I had somewhat broken it, so you had to press pretty hard to get it to go off, and I had nothing else on the keychain, yet it was still brightly flashing, as if someone was pressing on it. I suddenly felt so comforted, like my dad was telling me he was with me. My boyfriend looked at me and smiled, telling me he thinks my dad likes him, and I laughed lightly and agreed. It's the first real sign he's ever given to me that I know he's always there. It was crazy and so comforting to me. Usually, a normal person would have hightailed it out of the cemetery, but we sat and talked to him, thanking him for the sign, and I told him how much I loved and missed him. Finally, the last story I have for you is about the other morning. I had been having a panic attack for over two hours, and it was brutal, to the point I could hardly breathe. I felt so alone and optionless that I finally, out loud, begged my dad for help, telling him he was the strongest person I've ever known and that I just really can't do this without him. A minute later, a comforting feeling crashed over me and I started to calm down, to the point the attack completely stopped. I don't know if it was actually him or just my brain using it to help me cope, but it made me feel closer to him than I've ever felt. Did you hear recently in the last couple of weeks about this Area 51 story in this guy's website? The website, yeah. It just got taken over, right, by the FBI? Well, so, okay, so there's this guy, Jorg Arnu. He runs a website. Um, it's called Dreamland Resort. I only heard about this through George Knapp, the coast-to-coast guy. Um, here, I'll just read his tweets, what he has here. So FBI agents came down hard on the operator of a popular website devoted to all things Area 51 its programs, lore, and legacy. More than a dozen FBI agents served a no-knock warrant on the Rachel Nevada home of Jorg Arnu, the owner of Dreamland Resort. They seized all his computers, files, phones, photos, and at the same time, another team of a dozen or more agents stormed his uh, Las Vegas home. They seized all digital devices and files, and they held his girlfriend at gunpoint outside. Arnu noted on his website that he doesn't know the reason for the raid uh, or whether specific images of the secret base posted online may have initiated this vigorous action by federal law enforcement. We are gathering more info. Well, there was an update on that, and it turns out he got word from somebody in the Bureau or a friend closely related with the Bureau that uh, there's a good chance there were a couple of pictures on his website that were of classified material. He is always near the base taking notes and, you know, 
taking pictures, all within res- like respecting the boundaries of Area 51. He actually he actually supports Area 51 existing. And in fact, like three, four years ago, when those people stormed Area 51, he had like a local campaign to discourage that even happening and defended the Air Force's need for secrecy. Oh, yeah. I hate those YouTubers that like, did you see those YouTubers actually like climbed the fence? Yeah, so that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. He, was, he like led a campaign to discourage that. So he completely respected classified information and things from Area 51, but he still obviously wanted to report on everything that he could on his website. Yeah, but I guess curious. there were some things he shouldn't have had pictures of, and so that warranted them literally destroying all of his property and stealing everything from him and holding his girlfriend at gunpoint, which is wild. <laughs> That'd be funny when they stormed, if they didn't have guns, just hammers, <laughs> just took a hammer to everything and <laughs> walked took out hammers, just without saying everything. a word, <laughs> storm in and start banging everything and just, just walk out. Hammers from fucking Home Depot, crash, mm-hmm. crash, crash, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, it was like $10,000 worth of stuff, drones, all his camera equipment, backup drives, everything. So he, he got screwed big time. Uh, he says that he believes that they were just trying to send a message. Probably. Have you heard of Jerry Freeman and the stunt he pulled off at Area 51? I don't know who Jerry Freeman is, no. He was an archaeologist who snuck into Area 51 after trying for years to get permission from the government. Of course, that didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was all because he wanted to find some artifacts from a specific group of badass gold rush people known as the Death Valley 49ers. Isn't that one like hell of a that. name? Yeah, yeah Death Valley 49ers. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Yeah, But he ended up hiking around and staying inside Area 51 completely undetected for a week. Then when he was done, he just walked out and his brother picked him up. Wow. He just, that was it. That was it. It <laughs> sounds fake as hell, but it's legit. And I'm not doing the story any justice. Right. Look up Jerry Freeman, Area 51, those who are listening. There's a lot of great coverage on the whole ordeal. It's awesome. There's a long YouTube documentary, too. It's so cool. Oh, I'm going to read into that. I'll check that out actually mm-hmm. tonight. That's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Area 51 is, it's interesting, but at the same time, it's not because it's like old news. You know what I mean? It's, it's Area 51. Yeah, it's like, yeah. we get it. Cool. We get it. Are they really going to be like hiding the most top secret UFOs and alien stuff no. there now that every single person knows about it? It's so, it's so obvious and dumb. It's almost like Area 51 is a false flag. Kind of like, hey, look at us. There's definitely no secret stuff here. Like, hey, another Wizard of Oz reference. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But yeah, the real treasure is probably in a bunker somewhere in Missouri or something. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's almost like a, uh, I want to say, what well, not false flag, but controlled opposition where exactly it's there to make us look crazy, make the crazy, give the crazy something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Or it feeds into the people that are controlled opposition. Yeah. But then, then it could be like a double whammy that, that, that could be what they're trying to make us think. Double and they agent. are actually doing Ooh. everything there. <laughs> CI double agent. CI double agent. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a little weird, but I don't know. Area 51, it's old stuff. I'm not interested in it anymore, but it is crazy that they raided this guy's house and took everything from him. That, that, that tells me. Smash it all up with hammers. That tells me that maybe there is something going on there. Oh, absolutely. They, they, I don't think they would go into that great of a length if there weren't something there. Yeah. Obviously there's something there. (laughs) What am I saying? (laughs) There's nothing there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This week, you have heard Dream Premonition Story by Zach, Demons in My Home by Aubriana, 
My three-year-old is visited by his little brother by Mountain Gold 4734, Realm of Inorganic Beings by Cassie, The Lucky Cry by Nella, and finally, He May Be Dead But Not Forgotten by Sinitas. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bitrate for the best listening experience, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to support the show today. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.